Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. everybody i am here with sebastian the creator of a bunch of cool stuff that we're going to be talking about today how are you man hi uh yeah thanks for having me um yeah it's, it's... The... yeah so you are located uh very far away i'm assuming so we're going to have a long delay between this i think right <laughs> not sure if the delay really comes from distance uh but more the buffering but um that's a good ex- excuse yeah <laughs> Yeah. You know, I do find that, though, that the farther away people are, the more the more commonly I find a delay in these recordings. Um, the only other uh, exception would be if somebody has a really bad internet connection. But other than that, like it's, uh, you know, it, distance does seem to make uh, a difference in the recordings. But maybe it's just perceived. Who knows? Oh, I definitely don't know. <laughs> if I think about it, uh, I would assume that the tools probably adjust to uh, the little delay or uh, some some um, um, jitter in, in the timing there, but that's just speculating on my end. Hmm. Oh, well, they seem, we seem to make it work either way, but thank you very much for joining me today. Um, I've uh, been following your work for a little while and just uh, thought it'd be fun to have a chat with you. Yeah, I'm glad uh, that I can talk to you here, yeah. So I think the first thing of yours that I remember seeing, um, I actually think I I had stumbled across another one of your projects before this, by the way. I, th- I think it might have been the Game Boy Capture cartridge, the first, uh, or no, not that. I'm sorry. I'm looking at your, uh, your YouTube channel now, but I'm looking at it out of order. I think there was another video that didn't have a million views on it that I actually stumbled across first. I think it was a Sony Alpha, uh, hacking a Sony Alpha for clean HDMI video. <laughs> Uh, which is kind of funny because I remember seeing it pop, uh, your Wi-Fi Game Boy cartridge pop up, and I'm like, "That channel looks familiar. I, I've seen this before." And but I had seen you before. It was it was from the other one. <laughs> yeah, that's really surprising. I mean, um, for me, it's it's quite still quite new that uh, people tell me that they found my channel and that they recognize something from my channel. And it's all since the Wi-Fi Game Boy cartridge. Uh, I mean, how many views do I have on that uh, Sony Alpha thing? Um, 10,000, 50,000, something like that. So it's. Yeah, you're almost 30,000. So. Okay. I mean, right yeah. now we're talking through that exact camera from that video. I'm still using that. Uh, so this is ah. my main camera for everyday work still. Uh, so for every video conference. And um, yeah, <laughs> that's definitely uh, one of the videos that where something useful came out of it. So. Yeah. That's awesome. Are you still using the little Cantlink USB capture card device? Yes. Uh, actually, uh, there's a second one now for the 
other camera with which I can uh, show stuff. Uh, but um, yeah, I mean, That's awesome. these things are cheap and they just work. <laughs> and especially they also just work under Linux because you don't need any drivers for them. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, but definitely, the, I think the first video most people in the retro gaming scene have seen you in was the Wi-Fi Game Boy cartridge, which is pushing a million views right now. So that's you have two of those that are that high. So congratulations on that for going viral, by the way. But could you talk a little bit about the Wi-Fi cartridge and what it does? And, you know, but I'm sure most of us have seen the video, but it's kind of cool hearing it directly from you, you know? Um, yeah. So um, the thing is that uh, I found my old Game Boy <laughs> in my parents' attic um, at some point. Um, I mean, I have to say, uh, if, if you mentioned these as the early videos, uh, so these two videos that you mentioned uh, are the only other two videos uh, except for the most recent one about uh, some retro gaming stuff. So uh, it's not like I, I was looking at uh, all these things uh, for so long. It was just that it uh, hooked me when I found this old Game Boy and I wondered if I can make my own cartridge and I had no idea about all the projects that already existed and just set my own goals that I wanted to create a, create a cartridge uh, with a Wi-Fi module in it. Uh, just for the heck of it <laughs> and um i ended up to uh, creating um yeah such a cartridge and the first demo so for the first video that most people saw was that um i um used uh i'm not even sure which framework i used um was it gb uh one of the uh, c frameworks uh, that uh, make it easy to to write for the game boy because my assembly was also not that good at that time and that has improved since then uh, so i created a little demo where i uh, access wikipedia from the game boy so um i mean this this cartridge is um actually um quite simple in a certain way it's just a classic eprom because i no idea what else to use at this point and i just learned that i can easily hook it up to the game boy and just run uh at least uh, 32 kilobyte um uh, roms from there um and what the wi-fi module does uh, it just is mapped to two addresses um in the uh, memory space of the of the game boy uh, and so i can run a rom from the um from the eprom that um requests data from these two addresses and then i've got a separate piece of software running on an esp32 so it's a typical microcontroller like an Arduino. Uh, it's actually coded in the Arduino language, which is uh, more or less a C language. Um, and uh, so the, the, the code that's running on the Game Boy just requests data from, from these two addresses. And this way I could write a little browser for Wikipedia. And so that's pretty much the first demo that most people probably see from, uh, saw from this project. Um, yeah, and uh, uh, this is... On one hand, the first time I ever saw what it's like when a video goes viral on YouTube, <laughs> or at least when YouTube the YouTube algorithm figures out, okay, so that's something people are interested in, and uh, I will now show it to others. I mean, before that, um, I was really happy if a project was featured on Hackaday or something like that, and uh, then you see the stats on YouTube and uh, this huge increase of, in views and think, oh, now this is big, this is big, and... Uh, yeah, with this video, uh, the YouTube algorithm said, uh, hold my beer, <laughs> and uh, it just blew up so much. I've never seen something like that before. Uh, but um, uh, yeah, and then after that, um, um, my thought was, uh, I just do a few tricks with this uh, cartridge because I could, uh, in theory, just run any type of software on the Game Boy uh, and interface with anything. So I thought about things like uh, using the Game Boy to control um, um, the roller shutters in my house or something like that. So like um, home automation and similar <laughs> to the stuff that I did before. Um, and one of the things that I was most curious about was um, transferring images to the Game Boy. So that was the first thought of this. 
Um, and I looked into it, learned a little bit of assembly, uh, figured out um, which tricks there are to efficiently pump data to the Game Boy. I mean, the problem is uh, VRAM access. Uh, so not sure familiar everyone is with the details about the Game Boy here. So uh, while it's drew drawing each line, uh, you cannot access the, uh, the VDRAM and um, only during H blank. So a little part at the end of the line and during V blank, you can write data to the VRAM. Um, and um, once I figured out how to do this efficiently, and also helps that for the Wi-Fi cartridge, all the data is coming from a single address, so that also saves one cycle uh, when uh, copying data, um, I noticed that I can actually um, not only send an image there, but I can do it at a, pro a pr um, proper rate, so at uh, 20 FPS, and this means that in the end I'm able to transfer video and um, so I mean at this point I'm not sure if it's still running let's see um, yeah I can actually greet you from the Game Boy oh <laughs> so. that's so cool <laughs> um, I'm quite happy that it's still working it's a little bit delayed I see uh, but um, uh, it's been uh, sitting there <laughs> since the start of the interview actually since the I mean yeah it's I think it's not sec no secret to your uh, to your listeners and viewers uh, that we've been talking for a while uh, to set up the tech uh, the uh, yeah everything um, so we can actually see each other, which was quite difficult difficult today, right? <laughs> yeah, um, we had some technical difficulties before this. Yeah. So um, and all the while it has been streaming. I'm surprised because it's not that st stable. I have to admit. Uh, by the way, yeah, for the podcast listeners, so um, what you would be seeing now on the YouTube stream, I think, uh, is uh, Game Boy Color with um, yeah uh, a video stream of me talking uh, shown on it. And uh, yeah, can turn it around. Uh, there are no cables. This is a Wi-Fi video stream. Uh, but I switch back to the normal camera. I think right. <laughs> So that is awesome. Um, yeah. Um, and um, yeah, but then when I figured out I can do this, uh, I think I posted a little demo of uh, watching the first few minutes of Star Wars on the Game Boy <laughs> on Twitter, <laughs> uh, which of course also blew up quite a bit. <laughs> and um, uh, then I decided that the next video would use this. And I went one step further and um, did a little bit back channel. So I could also submit the key presses from the Game Boy back to the computer. I mean, uh, this is nothing practical. I really have to emphasize this. Uh, as I said, it's not stable. <laughs> Problem is the Wi-Fi cartridge, uh, so the Wi-Fi module on there, um, draws so much power that uh, sometimes when it turns on and the Wi-Fi um, signal is not strong enough, uh, the Game Boy simply resets because of the short peaks uh, in current that's drawn. Um, and also the batteries drain like nothing. <laughs> and... Um, um, and I have um, software running on the PC that converts the video stream in a format that's directly suitable for the Game Boy and that's streamed to the Game Boy. So that's nothing really practical. But what I could do is I could also um, send back the key presses on the Game Boy to the software. Uh, so it's just a Python script on the, uh, on the uh, in this case, my laptop. Um, and what I could then do is uh, I could uh, feed a stream from my PlayStation onto the Game Boy and send the key presses back to the PlayStation, which means that the second video that I did uh, on this cartridge uh, was titled Streaming GTA V uh, to a Game Boy or something like that. <laughs> not sure about the exact title. And the thumbnail showed, uh, actually, that's not a mock-up of a screenshot. It's actually a photo, uh, the, the title screen of uh, GTA V showing on the Game Boy. And um, that one did actually not blow up on YouTube, that of course blew up throughout the gaming press, and um, 
that's what I learned uh, when, when I learned what it's like uh, when a bunch of uh, gaming teenagers uh, visit your channel. <laughs> so um, um, I think this is the one that broke a million views uh, just yes. recently uh, because uh, YouTube Congrats. now, after the latest project, started to push this one. The latest project didn't even blow up on, on YouTube at all, but uh, YouTube figured out that this uh, GTA thing should be shown to uh, yeah more retro gaming uh Uh, um, inclined people so to say um, but um, yeah that's the one big video that probably most people have seen especially outside of YouTube because um, all the tech news and gaming news chains picked that one up because I mean that's that's something that's easy to explain what's happening there and everyone understands that this is not a usual thing to do Yeah, and you know, you said that this isn't a practical thing to do, but as somebody who's been doing development for since 2006, 2005, something like that, I see what you're doing, but I also see what it could evolve into. So while while you're right, you know, you're not going to play GTA 5 that way. Um, <laughs> I can completely see the path that you're going down, and I I was kind of wondering where you would go next with it. And I, I didn't guess the Game Boy Interceptor. That was that surprised me in a very good way. I thought you were going to go down a slightly different path with the Wi-Fi stuff. But um, what you know, what made you move on to the Game Boy Interceptor? And I guess could you talk a little bit about what it is for people that um, you know that are listening? Yeah, um, I, I mean, I think first I should say it's almost an independent project. Um, almost only because. Um, The, uh, the this uh, Wi-Fi cartridge was the reason that someone contacted me and uh, which gave me the idea to do the interceptor. But uh, it's not related to the Wi-Fi cartridge at all, except maybe the stuff that I learned from the Wi-Fi cartridge. Um, I did not continue with the Wi-Fi cartridge because after that um, GTA thing, it felt like whatever I do next is something that people are not surprised about anymore if i now do some home automation uh, automation thing yeah i could just stream uh, the home automation app from my from my phone and use that one so it was um it, there was nothing to conquer anymore so to say yeah i mean it's it's uh, um from technical point of view i could have done more interesting things but i did not think that anyone would really be interested after that because um at that point i could do anything that i could do on a pc yeah mm. um but um What happened from this is that uh, I think around August or summer, uh, August is summer, yeah, but uh, some some um, around that time I think, um, someone contacted me who uh, is uh, actually quite active in a um, uh, Discord channel about uh, Tetris or so the classical Tetris from the Game Boy, um, and um, they were thinking about doing a tournament um, online. Um, and uh, they were looking for a solution uh, that the participants can stream their gameplay, um, which from my point of view was something where I thought, okay, um, since I started this Wi-Fi cartridge, I've seen so much about what amazing projects are out there about uh, retro gaming. I thought that's a problem that has been long solved. I mean, um, the naive approach uh, would be using an emulator, of course, um, or there are so many mods uh, and um, um, consoleizer. Uh, co is that right? Word, yeah, consoleizer um, um, yes. projects, um, and I don't uh, think it's a real word, but we 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 use that word, so now maybe it is a real word. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, And of course, things like the uh, analog pocket or any other modern emulator device, uh, which almost feels like a real Game Boy and which can stream the stuff. But then he explained to me that uh, no, the problem is that uh, they all train on their original Game Boys that they're used to, or maybe the Game Boy that they prefer. 
Um, and uh, you cannot ask everyone who participates to just mod their keyboard, uh, their, their, their Game Boy, and um, also you cannot ask them to um, to uh, yeah, play competitively uh, on a device that they've never used before. So right. um, they need a way to capture the, um, the the graphics from the from the original devices uh, without asking them to mod them, and. Um, and you'd also have to mod two because all all of us nerds know that you know one is none and two is one. So if you only <laughs> yeah. have one modded Game Boy and you show up at your event, you know something's going to go wrong. With it, definitely, <laughs> it's just it's the way it goes. So that's a lot of money. So that's uh, yeah, you're so the, you're right. There was no good solution. For yeah, that. Well, exactly. Um, and so um, he suggested uh, that uh, maybe you, uh, one could uh, mod uh, um, and not uh, so so a hack a ROM uh, and um, make it stream some data out of the um, uh, link cable port, um, mm -hmm. which I think might work on the newer uh, Game Boys. Not that it sends video, but something that could be reconstructed into video. I'm not sure about the uh, DMG because there the link port is really slow. Um, also, at that time, uh, I did not know enough about uh, how, again, not enough assembly and how these games work. Uh, that definitely changed with the Interceptor, but um, uh, to really have an idea of this would even be possible. Um, uh, and he thought that my, maybe one could combine this with a Wi-Fi cartridge to uh, then actually stream the video somehow. But um, the thought that I had then is uh, that uh, the only thing that we can access without uh, modifying the Game Boy is the cartridge slot. And um, all the information for the game goes through the cartridge slot. Um, and in hindsight, I would say I was quite naive about this idea. Um, I mean, I wasn't sure where this would be going. Um, I just thought, okay, from the data that the Game Boy is accessing, I should be able uh, to figure out um, what the game looks like. Um, I was thinking about a Tetris-specific solution at that time. So maybe emulating Tetris and then using the data from this uh, from, the, from the cartridge slot to figure out uh, what the game looks like. Um, in hindsight, if, when I look at different systems, uh, where, when people ask me, can we do the same thing? I have not entirely said what the Interceptor does yet. Yeah, But um, in hindsight, when um, people ask me about other systems, I realize that this is not necessarily the case. If you think of... Um, Uh, gaming systems that use uh, slower data, uh, slower media, um, anything more modern where the where the RAM is faster than than the actual medium where the, uh, the game comes from. I think just of anything with a CD. That's even more right. extreme case than, <laughs> than the cartridges. Um, then the game usually loads the code and then it runs off the code that has been loaded into RAM and uh, it does not access the media at all or it accesses uh, the, the medium for the... Uh, um, or the original game code, uh, or the CD in this case, uh, only to reload um, cutscenes or something like that. Yeah, and uh, you would have no idea what's going on in the game at that moment. Um, but my thought of the system was the one that I learned from the Wi-Fi cartridge is that uh, the Game Boy actually runs pretty much all the code directly off the ROM. It's not there are so many edge cases that I have to fix later, so um, it's not entirely true. There are some exceptions. But most of it is directly run from the ROM because the ROM is as fast as the RAM in this case. And so I created the Game Boy Interceptor, um, which is um, an adapter that goes between the Game Boy and uh, the cartridge. I should have prepared to show something here, yeah, but um, uh, just a second. Um, so just to show it. <laughs> um, so yeah, a Game Boy. 
This is the um, the version of the Interceptor with a 3D printed case. I most of the time have another one, but I have that prepared nice. for something else, for another demo. So Interceptor goes in there. Um, and the cartridge goes on top. So pretty much like a Game Genie. So that's what the people uh, who are just listening should imagine. So like a mm -hmm. Game Genie. Um, with the addition that a USB cable goes into the side of this thing. And... Uh, oh, that's not a USB cable, but an audio adapter. But you get the, the idea. Um, and uh, the device just shows up on any machine uh, as a video, uh, as a webcam. Um, so... You don't need a driver when you plug this in into a Windows machine, Linux machine. Um, and yeah, actually, we've got some problems on more modern uh, uh, macOS devices. Uh, so yeah, um, still not entirely sure where this is coming from. It works on Intel Macs, but it doesn't work on uh, the Apple Silicon Macs. Uh, and I have, of course, haven't heard anything from Apple when I try to figure anything out or find <laughs> a bug report not. that they yeah. behave differently. Um, but it also even works on Android phone. Uh, so uh, you have to look for, an, for a specific app that can handle the somewhat weird resolution and uh, color uh, mode. But um, the basic idea is that you plug it into almost any device and shows up like a webcam. And then if you turn on the Game Boy after it has been plugged in, um, mm -hmm. as soon as the interceptor sees the communication from the start of the game, um, it pretty much is an emulator that's running in the interceptor which uh, does not entirely emulate uh, anything. It doesn't do any uh, conditional jumps or anything. It doesn't emulate the logic of the game. It just follows the instructions uh, that the Game Boy sees. So ah, that was probably the wrong way to start. But the idea is the Game Boy is running the game. So it runs the code uh, to uh, load uh, tile data, for example. Um, and um, of course, the tile data is also loaded from the cartridge. And the Interceptor sees, okay, the Game Boy... Um, loads instruction, the instruction says get data from this address, the next the, uh, interceptor sees there's data loaded from this address, and then instruction says put this address into a video RAM at this point, and the interceptor then yeah, uh, keeps track of a copy of this video RAM, where it does uh, follow the instructions that the uh, Game Boy received. So, um, Anything that the Game Boy does uh, is something that the interceptor mimics. Um, I usually call it uh, an emulator on rails, um, I know technical term some people say is that it's an emulator in step lock, although I do not entirely agree. That would mean that, uh, at least to me, it means that um, um, you synchronize the clock of the emulator and the device and uh, mm -hmm. you use the same inputs, like, for example, the uh, gamepad input and stuff like that. But the interceptor cannot see the gamepad. Uh, but the thing is that if you press A so that Mario jumps, yeah, then the Game Boy X loads the code that makes Mario jump <laughs> from, the, from, the, uh, from the cartridge. And the interceptor has no idea what the code does, or that is because you pressed A. It just executes the same code, and so on the interceptor, also Mario jumps. And um, then on a second core, so this is based on a Raspberry Pi Pico, not to be confused with a classic Raspberry Pi, which has a whole operating system. The Raspberry Pi Pico is just a microcontroller. Uh, in fact, in this case, it's not the entire Pico, but the microprocessor of the Pico, the RP2040. This one has two cores, and the second core then actually entirely emulates the uh, graphics unit of the uh, Game Boy. And that's what's then put out to the, um, uh, to the uh, via USB um, with the um, USB video class standard, um, which means that um, yeah, wherever you use this, for example, uh, in OBS2, so this is now the <laughs> Game Boy camera running through the, um, I, sh I should look down there, <laughs> um, through the uh, interceptor. 
um, we can switch the other camera to show it. Uh, so uh, this is what I just used. Yeah. So it's a mm -hmm. for those listening, it's a Game Boy Pocket with the intercept on top. This time uh, without the uh, um, 3D printed case. And the uh, Game Boy camera sticking out of it quite awkwardly because this whole contraption is way too long, yeah? Um, but uh, that's what I just added to OBS as a webcam, so really just as a webcam. In OBS, I just pick it uh, as a regular webcam, and so you can see the image that's coming from the uh, Game Boy camera, and uh, I can simply stream it and talk to you through the Game Boy camera. I know there have been other projects that uh, allow accessing the Game Boy camera, so, uh, but this is more or less a side product of this. Um, so um, any game that you put in there, in theory, could run like this. There are some edge cases, and I think by now I found two games where for now I've given up on making them work. Um, <laughs> but I would say if I look at the list on, uh, in, on the GitHub page uh, of the games that have been tested and which I tried to fix, uh, I would say 90%, 95% of the games are working. Uh, some with minor glitches, but most of them work fine. Um, I mean, so I, I guess it, uh, the way that I always visualize this project is that the interceptor is reading the lines without interacting with them in any way. So it's read, not write which means that there's no delay whatsoever between the Game Boy and the cartridge, which the game would probably crash if any delay was added anyway. So this is essentially a zero lag added to the gameplay way to do this. And also since the video output is software emulation or on the chip, even if there's a couple of bugs or glitches, it's only affecting the video recording, not the gamer. So you could still have these competitive matches on this and even if something starts to glitch out on the Game Boy Interceptor, it's not affecting the match at all because it doesn't mess with the Game Boy. Yeah, exactly. Correct? Yeah. I mean, the cartridge is directly wired to the Game Boy. So there is uh, nothing between the, the, uh, the, the uh, electric lines from the cartridge to the Game Boy. Um, so the actual gaming experience on the Game Boy, the, the only difference is that you've got a bulky weight at the end. <laughs> it's maybe, I mean, it's really awkward on the uh, GBA SP because it's sticking out the bottom. <laughs> that's that's a little bit annoying. Um, uh, by the way, uh, for this, um, do I have one? Yeah. Um, I'm still hoping that the community will create a different uh, case for the Interceptor because Interceptor comes with a breakout board so that you can... Um, uh, yeah, at the cartridge slot uh, on a wire and maybe put it to the back uh, of the Game Boy. So uh, I don't have a case for it right now. But um, yeah, so, so it's um, the, the PCB is designed so that um, people can have uh, different ideas of where to place the cartridge on the uh, interceptor and uh, make cases for this. Uh, but the version that we have now, that which so the straight version, that's very similar to the um, um, Game Genie. Um, uh, that one is really awkward on the SP. And uh, of course, for some Game Boys, and I can imagine that maybe that's a little bit problem for the original goal of for the Tetris tournament, that in some ways, when you hold this thing, uh, just the torque from the uh, heavyweight at the end of the Game Boy um, might be a little bit annoying. But the actual gaming experience, so just how the game works, is absolutely not influenced from this. Uh, so there's um, everything on the interceptor is wired so that it only listens to, to the electrical lines and they're really electrically connected. Um, I mean, maybe if I read the interceptor, I might change this because I learned about many things that might, helpful, uh, might be helpful if I could uh, inject some code uh, to the game. Mm. Um, 
for these some for the few edge cases that don't work. But on the other hand, um, that's one of the so to say selling points of, if I sold them <laughs> for the interceptor that um, yeah uh, it does not influence the game on the game board itself at all. It just passively listens to it. So yeah. And how about audio? Is that handled at all through the interceptor? No, it's not handled at all. So the idea is if you want to stream audio, then you have to go to the audio jack. Um, yeah. Is that something that could eventually be routed in? Um, I mean, in theory, um, I mean, you would have to emulate audio as well. And um, mm -hmm. audio emulation is a little bit trickier and especially more, uh, it requires much more uh, computational power. Uh, so there's nothing on the uh, RP2040 Uh, to easily emulate audio. I, I'm not sure if you could do something through the uh, programmable IOs, but not the entire uh, audio of the, of the Game Boy, I don't think so. So not with this this hardware. Um, if you have something more powerful, that might work. One solution that might work and something that I might add eventually is um, to... Uh, I mean, I mean, one point of the, GP, uh, of the, of the Interceptor is that... Um, Uh, you don't need any uh, software on the host device. So you don't have to install any drivers or anything. Um, but what I'm thinking about is uh, to um, give the option to use some host software. Uh, probably just a Python script because that's easy to uh, use um, on Windows, Mac, and Linux uh, at the same time with almost the same code. Um, and this would yeah, solve a few of the problems uh, that we have with the USB port. Uh, so... Um, Yeah, maybe I sh should talk about the, the limitations of the USB video at this point. Um, because uh, the RP2040 has uh, its uh, own uh, USB interface, uh, which I use. <laughs> I mean, the nice thing is it's basically just a Raspberry Pi Pico. If you would produce them in mass, uh, I think you could get the PCB with all components down to like 10 bucks or something like that. Uh, if you find anyone selling Interceptor, don't hold them to that price. That's if you produce thousands maybe i think yeah um but uh, i produced 10 of them and uh, uh including uh, a simple um, reproduction shell as a case um uh, i paid 25 bucks for each of them so that's euros but in dollars it's pretty much the same um so uh, it's really cheap device and uh, one of the reasons is that the rp2040 pretty much brings everything that you need including usb port and uh That's only USB 1.1, and that causes a lot of the problems, which in hindsight maybe I should have solved with a proper, uh, 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 yeah, a separate chip for that. Um, because on one hand, um, this limits the video stream to um, at the resolution of the Game Boy of 160 by 144 pixels. That's a really high resolution stream. Yeah, um, it limits it to 29 frames per second um, because the USB video class. Um, Yeah, only defines certain um, uh, color schemes or color uh, color formats that are allowed. So there's no there's no grayscale format uh, which uh, with uh, two bit color depth which would match the four colors of the Game Boy. Uh, but the minimum is uh, uh, NV12, uh, which is a 12 bit uh, format. So um, yeah, there's color encoding in there, even though we don't need it. Um, and uh, if you add the resolution to uh, and the, uh, the, this color format and um, the fact that you cannot compress uh, the video also on the... Or at least I, I did manage to. If someone has good experience in, in uh, efficiently um, um, programming uh, MJPEG uh, on a microcontroller, maybe someone can do it, but I couldn't do it. Um, then you're limited to 29 frames per second, uh, which is 
really awkward. It would be nice if we would achieve 30 frames per second so that we can at least send every second frame, but it just doesn't uh, fit in there. Um, and um, so that's one limitation. Um, you would not want to send audio on top of this. Also, you don't want to uh, encode audio on the uh, on the uh, RP2040 at this point. So the other solution that I'm thinking about is uh, that um, I could simply stream um, uh, the video in a custom format just to a serial interface uh, via USB. Uh, so we can use 2-bit um, uh, encoding, actually. And then uh, there's just some very simple host software, which takes this 2-bit image and then converts it to something like a, using a virtual camera like OBS does um, to offer the stream in a proper format to other uh, software. And in that case, I think it's quite realistic to also submit uh, any writes that are done to the registers that control the Game Boy Audio and then emulate the Game Boy Audio on the host device. Um, you cannot emulate the entire thing on the host device uh, because the uh, just the pure data stream from the cartridge slot is more than the USB 1.1 uh, interface can support. Um, and that's also a simple calculation. The Game Boy runs at about one megahertz. Um, each event on the uh, uh, on the cartridge slot, um, if you just think about the 16-bit address, which you need to understand what it's doing, the 8-bit data, and then ignore all the other, other lines. So that's already 8 byte per event, um, then 1 million of them per second. So that's, uh, uh, sorry, 3 bytes per, per event. Is that what I said? Uh, so you end up with something like 3 megabytes per second, and what you have with USB 1.1 is something around 1 point something megabyte per second. So that's not realistic. But if we uh, emulate the video on the um, microcontroller as before, send it in a much more efficient format, so just two bit, and then um, convert it on the host device, then there would also be room to uh, send the commands that are written to the registers for the audio and then do the audio emulation on the host device. Uh, but I don't not I cannot give just promises commands. when I get around to do this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So excuse my ignorance, but why not send just the commands and emulate the whole thing via software on the target device? Um, yeah, so the thing is, uh, you don't... Uh, or which, which commands do you mean? Um, so, so emulating the video, rather than do that on the chip, why not send all of the commands coming from the Game Boy down the USB line and don't do any of the rendering on the Game Boy Interceptor itself? Um maybe it would be possible to... Ooh. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, as I said, you cannot stream uh, everything that's going through the cartridge there. So that's because okay. that's too much for the USB interface. So you're thinking about emulating the CPU uh, of the Game Boy on the, uh, on the interceptor, but the graphics unit on the host device. Okay. Is that what you that mean? So sense. that's... No, no, I mean, I just, I just wanted clarification on that because it's... Uh... It, it makes sense now, but it's one of those things where you think, oh, send all the commands, but now you're you're sending, what, one gigahertz worth of commands or, uh, across a USB 1.1, so that, that's why you wouldn't want to do yeah. that. You would want to lower the amount of data coming out of the port. I mean, that's something that one sometimes, uh, sometimes um, underestimates. I mean, this is a really old device, and you hear that Tetris is just on a 32 kilobyte uh, cartridge. It doesn't even use all the 32 kilobytes. Um, and um, but uh, the the um, this this uh, cartridge slot, that's a memory bus. That's not an interface uh, for communication, but that's direct access uh, to 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 the uh, data. So um, and as I said, the Game Boy actually runs all its code directly from the from the cartridge slot. So in contrast to any other more modern system, I think anything after the eight bit area does differently. Um, uh, but the Game Boy actually runs its code directly from there, so it's uh, the the memory bus is running at the 
CPU clock speed. That's technically not entirely exact, so it depends on how, if you say the Game Boy is a 4 megahertz um, CPU, and um, but each instruction at least takes four cycles, or if you say uh, it's a 1 megahertz CPU with, with one cycle for fastest instruction with some details of the timing, and yeah, but um, the thing is, uh, this is still very fast, and um, uh, actually even the uh, RP2040, which is quite new, um, not the fastest microcontroller in the world, yeah, but uh, it's it's a fairly modern uh, microcontroller that was published two years ago or something like that. Uh, I had to overclock this thing to keep up with the Game Boy, not to keep up with the one megahertz, um, but um, because the the uh, RP twenty forty usually runs at one or twenty five megahertz, and I had to double the clock speed, yeah. Um, but um, if you emulate this thing and if you want to keep up with what is the Game Boy doing and figure out if the instruction that you're seeing is maybe not the next instruction that it's doing, but it's the it's something that's uh, showing up because the Game Boy just uh, had an interrupt. So um, some event that causes the code to jump somewhere else uh, means a lot of overhead. Um, so if you think in other terms of this, if you overclocked it to 250 megahertz, you have got 250 machine cycles to emulate and to keep track of what the Game Boy is doing. Um, and uh, this still sounds like plenty, but if you then think about uh, just emulating an, um, a simple edition, yeah, 8-bit uh, edition, um, I'm not sure how many cycles the uh, RP24 needs for 32-bit uh, edition because it's a 32-bit uh, CPU. Uh, probably it's just one cycle. I'm not, I'm not sure about the details there. Um, but the thing is, if you emulate an 8-bit uh, edition, then you have to cast the um, the, the uh, incoming data or the data and register um, to an 8-bit integer, or at least bit mask it, yeah? do the addition, look at the result to figure out uh, the, all the, the flags that you have to set. So the carry flag, the zero flag, the half carry flag, yes, so the uh, internal registers that the 8-bit CPU has, which the 32-bit uh, CPU doesn't care about if it's just adding two numbers in the range of 0 to 255, so why should you set any flags? It easily fits in there, yeah. Um, and then uh, the result, uh, again, has to be bit masked, so, uh, because otherwise, if you add um, 1 to 255, the result on an 8-bit CPU is zero, yeah, and the carry mm. flag was set, uh, but on a 32-bit uh, um, CPU, it would just be 256. Yeah, And so just this simple operation, just this addition, means so many more cycles because uh, of emulating the 8-bit CPU. And then there's a lot of overhead of things that I have to check and all the edge cases. And um, as I mentioned, so one headache is uh, interrupts. Uh, so when, when suddenly the Game Boy does not receive an instruction to jump somewhere else, but the Game Boy just decides to execute different code simply because um, uh, the, the graphics unit reached uh, V-blank and that causes something else to happen. Um, and then from the point of view of the interceptor, uh, the Game Boy just randomly ex executes different code. But you have to um, do certain things like increment the stack pointer. Um, so the... the um, where the Game Boy stores uh, where to continue after the uh, after the in, uh, uh, interrupt, for example, and all these things you have to uh, emulate. Otherwise, um, you lose uh, synchronicity, so to say. Um, and um, I mean that's that's a big problem. If you m miss just one instruction uh, or make one mm. mistake, uh, then the interceptor is out of the loop, and uh, you cannot uh, recover from that. Then at this point, uh, uh, yeah. Uh, your, uh, the, the game run, keeps running because there's nothing in between there, but um, the interceptor will not show a proper image anymore. 
yeah. So basically, it's way more complicated than people might guess at first. <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, the interesting thing, in my opinion, are the things that um, you would not expect to work, which work because if, if I had thought about these before that, I did not expect them to work and I was just lucky. Um, for example, as I mentioned, the pressing the A button is not visible to the interceptor and it still works because the proper code runs. So that's something maybe I would have thought about if, if I spent more time instead of just trying it. Yeah. Um, but there are so many other things in the Game Boy that um, we that, that cannot be seen on the cartridge slot, um, which just work out because the right code is executed. Um, I, I mean, you really uh, only see how close all the other situations are or how tricky the other situations are uh, when you look at the games that I cannot fix. Um, so um, at least the two games that I've given up on... Uh, what was the second one just recently where I thought, okay, that's some, oh yeah, uh, Super Scrabble <laughs> was one where I gave <laughs> up on. Uh, that one uses the random um, state of memory uh, in, in the cartridge. Actually, shortly after release, someone asked me on, on YouTube, uh, I think, or on Twitter, how I handle this case. And I wasn't even aware that games do that. And with Super Scrabble, I found the first game that does this. So it generates random numbers, or actually it's the seed for the random numbers by reading uh, data in RAM that has not been initialized, so some random state, yeah. Um, and of course, the interceptor has no idea what's there in in in, uh, in RAM. Actually, in a certain sense, the Game Boy has no idea what's in there. That's the point. Where it's random num uh, it's random data, uh, and it uses that to initialize a timer, which just counts up during the title screen. And then when you press start, it takes that random number as the seed for the random number generator. And um, since it then does not do conditional jumps because that sometimes gives it away. In many cases, you can recover because the Game Boy makes a decision based on the random number. For example, the Tetris uh, stack in, in B mode. So it's just this random pattern that you have to, to clear. Um, that's also generated randomly uh, with a different method, but in a way that we cannot see. Uh, and maybe one day we can emulate it, but I, I couldn't figure it out yet. Um, and this stack... Uh, the, the decision where you have a gap and where you have a, um, a block um, actually uh, is done with a conditional jump based on the random number. And we simply then follow this instruction to place a block there, to place a gap there. And so everything works out, except that the uh, blocks have a slightly different design on the interceptor than on the actual Game Boy. Because the decision, what design the block receives, is directly written to VRAM and the interceptor does not see this. It's not based on a conditional jump. But for Super Scrabble, uh, pretty much everything is running in VRAM and they directly write the random numbers there and I have no idea if there's any way to recover from that and to find it somewhere else in the game, at least especially soon enough so that you see it on a video stream before uh, a, a, um, um, a piece with a with a letter was revealed. Yeah, um, mm. And the other example for this is actually Dr. Mario, which is more annoying because I'm not sure who plays Super Scrabble on the Game Boy, but <laughs> Dr. Mario, of course, is a uh, yeah more liked <laughs> title. Um, and uh, there's, that's pretty much the same problem. Um, in contrast to Tetris, um, it does not um, go along all the blocks and then decides, is it a block or is it a gap? Uh, but it creates the, the random location for the viruses. And uh, the viruses in, in um, Dr. Mario uh, are then... Uh, so the random numbers decide where to place them and which type of virus is placed there. And it does this also directly to VRAM. I think it also keeps a copy in RAM and it does some conditional jumps and it fixes itself once you clear a few viruses. 
Uh, but when you just start the game, then uh, it even breaks part of the interface because the inter uh, interceptor works on different numbers and using the code that's based on the random numbers in the Game Boy, it tries to place the viruses even outside the gaming area, uh, the, the, the play field, what you could you call it. Yeah, so and uh, um, it's a total mess until you eventually clear a line and then I haven't figured out that code part of the code, but then uh, some logic kicks in and the interceptor can follow some instructions that really are based on the random numbers that come from the Game Boy and not uh, yeah, um, from a non-random source in the interceptor. You know, I love conversations like this because I think I think this is interesting, but I also can I, it's also helping me visualize how the Game Boy works and and how you know what efforts need to go into making something like this. I, I appreciate you taking the time to go through that because that was cool. I was uncharacteristically quiet through all of that because <laughs> I was just <laughs> listening and enjoying. <laughs> um, so I guess the you know then the natural question would be based on your previous projects. Can you do all of this, but also throw a Wi-Fi chip in there so you don't need the USB? You could just use like a you know a web address to, to access it. Um, yeah, I think that's the other reason why I eventually gave up on the Wi-Fi cartridge. I I mean the PCB design and electronics are definitely my weak spot. Um, so uh, I learned so much from projects and from comments uh, um, that I received with suggestions to improve stuff. I mean, yeah. Uh, Every time someone comes up with the idea, why didn't you do that? Then at first it annoys you, then you look into it, and then you realize, oh, yeah, next time. Yeah, and that's how I learned pretty much everything I did there. Uh, but I did not figure out a way uh, to stabilize the problem with the current draw. So um, uh, at first I was thinking, okay, maybe at some point I um, add some menus to the Wi-Fi cartridge so, so that people can enter their own Wi-Fi credentials and... Um, Maybe someone's interested in rebuilding this. I'm not selling electronics, but for the Interceptor, I actually made a video. So it's really easy even for someone who has never ordered PCBs before. So I really give a click guide how to get this thing. And uh, also, I do not object to others uh, taking my project and uh, building and selling it. So uh, I very consciously use uh, open source licenses that permit this. Um, but um, for the Wi-Fi cartridge, I mean, it's open source. Anyone can build it. But the problem is uh, it's really glitchy. If I On the Game Boy Color, is, uh, the, that one has a very stable um, power supply in it or, or voltage converter in it. Uh, so I have a little problem on this. Uh, usually if I show it on the, um, uh, on the DMG, um, and I think I show it at the end of the first video also, Half the time when you turn it on, you get glitches all over the screen. Uh, and it still works amazingly, but uh, because of the current search, when when the Wi-Fi uh, card, uh, the Wi-Fi chip um, yeah kicks in, um, if you just look at the number of uh, which peak current this uh, Wi-Fi chip draws uh, compared to the um, to the um, current that you are annoyed of for some flash uh, cartridges that draw more current than they should. Yeah, um, that's just mm. it's extreme for the Game Boy. Uh, I already put in a quite large capacitor. At least I think so. <laughs> um, maybe more capacitors help, but in the end, uh, it's just drawing too much power. And um, yeah, it's uh, maybe someone with uh, more knowledge about electrical engineering or this electronic stuff uh, can figure out a way, but. Um, this would also mean that uh, they didn't also um, uh, invest that much time into this project. And um, yeah, I'm not seeing that the Wi-Fi cartridge is something that's uh, uh, that's available to anybody, uh, to, to everybody. So um, if you 
know about these problems, if you uh, know how to solder, and if you uh, um, yeah, uh, can play with the Python script that feeds the stream there, uh, you can build this and you can stream your own video to it, but um, I do not see uh, how I can, can make it to a project like the Interceptor that's meant to uh, be built by anybody. Yeah, so... Mm. Um, yeah, that's that's why. I'm yeah, not, I mean, um, the power consumption of the Wi-Fi chip. My assumption would be that, in for handhelds at least, the most uh, the most valuable thing you could do is have something like load a ROM over the network, have it saved locally to this Wi-Fi ROM cart type of thing, and then the Wi-Fi switches off after you stop mm -hmm. accessing the network. So there would be a power draw, there would be glitch and problems in some, but then once the ROM is on there, then that's it. You could select from the one or two that are already on the cart. Yeah, but, but then, um, I mean, several have suggested that and uh, have been asking, so why don't you make that make it that it can load the ROM? Uh, so the current Wi-Fi cartridge cannot do it because it uh, actually, it cannot program the EEPROM that's in there and it uh, only um, yeah, provides data to two addresses. Uh, actually, one address is used to read and one is to write, uh, used to write. Um, but then I think uh, that uh, the entire library uh, of uh, every Game Boy game ever released, including all the homebrews and everything, can easily fit on any modern um, SD card. And there's uh, things like the uh, EverDrive or the EasyFlash. Um, so... I mean, you, you do the same game but... files and homebrew are the two reasons that you would do that. Because you're right, you could fit every game ever made on there. But what if you just constantly want to back up your save game files? Now you could just reboot to menu, press a button, and zoom it back the other way. Or you know, you're constantly working on a new uh, project, and you know, so it's you're right in that it's not going to be a common feature, but it, it's certainly not a useless feature. It's definitely something some people would use. Uh, but I mean, I also understand like why why would somebody go through the trouble of designing all of that when there's uh, already an EverDrive out there and Crix might be able to just throw this in the next revision. Yeah, so. Also, you assume that I get it to the point where it's so convenient that you just turn it on, drag the file in there and it works. Uh, while in practice, at least for quite a while until I would figure out all the glitches and bugs, um, you would probably turn it on, uh, try it three times and then you uh, take <laughs> out the USB cable after all or just plop, pop in the SD card because it didn't want to connect to your Wi-Fi <laughs> or something else was glitching. So, um, I mean, um, also even... Um, if it works stable, if it runs off the batteries, um, it's also I know from experience that when you develop on the real hardware, it really gets annoying if you have to change batteries all the time, even if they're rechargeable. Um, for example, I um, when I have to fix, uh, we had to fix many games manually. So figuring out the last bugs in, in the interceptor, but there are also some games that need individual fixes. As I mentioned, you cannot see the gamepad input. Sometimes it's used to uh, set the flip bit for the sprites for so to. Press the left button and the character turns to left. Then uh, the Game Boy just mirrors the sprites and plays it in a different location. And that bit is just bit banged from the gamepad input and we cannot see this. Uh, and uh, then you have to look for a point in the code where it branches off the uh, gamepad input to then fix the bit. So that's something that has to be solved individually for the games. And then you have to dig through all the code of the game, understand how the game works. And that really takes a lot of time, time and a lot of testing. And then every time you run it again on the Game Boy, uh, have to load the game and then uh, run it to the interceptor, see if the fix worked. Um, and uh, I actually got an um, uh, easy flash for that. Um, so I thought I do not have to flash uh, a new game on every cartridge because I don't have such a large Game Boy collection that I have every game that uh, where anybody reports a glitch. Um, and I did end up 
uh, using just a regular flash card where I um, go through the hassle of flashing it every time I have to test another game simply because um, the easy flash um, did not really run that long on the batteries uh, because it, this one actually draws way too much power. And yeah. uh, so then this means that uh, half the time I ended, I, I thought, okay, now I really broke my game until I realized, no, it's not also not running on the Game Boy itself because um, uh, especially Game Boy Pocket, which is uh, the one I prefer to develop on because that's the best display of the unmodified Game Boys, at least to anything I've seen so far. But that's also the one with the worst um, um, voltage converter in there or whatever part it is that, that messes it up because that's the one where you have no chance of running the Wi-Fi cartridge at all. Uh, as soon as the voltage drops a little bit, uh, Game Boy Pocket is not interested in cooperating anymore. So, um, yeah. And um, so, yeah, I really think if you're thinking about developing uh, and using the Wi-Fi cartridge because of this convenience, I think the current draw and the draining batteries quickly defeat this idea as well. So, yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. It's just, you know, when you say Wi-Fi in the, in the context of a cartridge, that's what many of uh, my fellow nerds' brains go to. But I appreciate <laughs> the explanation. Oh, by the way, so, uh, one okay, idea that might uh, solve this, but I'm not sure if I, I want to do this project next because, yeah... I have. Uh, so I want to do different projects at some point. I just don't. I don't want to be the guy who just uh, puts uh, strange modern technology into uh, game <laughs> cartridges. But uh, Bluetooth might be a better option there because with Bluetooth Low Energy, mm. you have got, uh, of course, um, uh, as name suggests, it's designed to for devices that run off batteries. In this case, even devices that run off uh, what are they called in English? The small, thin battery coin. Cells? Is that the... Yes. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Um, uh, so uh, that should be no problem at all. Uh, the bandwidth, of course, is much lower, but in the end, you don't need much bandwidth if you just want to transfer your game of, let's say, even if it's a huge game with a megabyte, um, that should be not that much of a problem. And uh, um, so uh, Bluetooth might be an option there, even for video streaming. But um, yeah, I mean, it's not such an exciting project to just redo the Wi-Fi cartridge but not with a Bluetooth strip. So um, uh, I have to admit, uh, it's not. Uh, I'm not doing most of the projects simply because um, something useful comes out of it. Most of my projects are not that useful, <laughs> as I said. Uh, I also do them because uh, of the challenge and uh, because I really enjoy solving such problems. And um, just sticking a Bluetooth chip in there now um, doesn't make that much of a difference. No, I, I, I completely understand where you're coming from. You do this because it's fun and you want a challenge, not just to redo the same thing slightly different each time. What uh, if, if you're okay talking about it, do you have another project that you've already started working on or that you have in mind for next time, even if it has nothing to do with games at all? Yeah, actually, um, so uh, I'm not sure how much I want to, to tease there. Um, so the next project is something which I just started a few days ago, um, and uh, it, it's actually not that challenging um, software-wise, uh, but ordering parts. Um, uh, this is more camera-related, and um, yeah, I don't want to, to spoil everything. I don't think that uh, it's not too exotic what I'm doing, um, but it just has some application in real world that's a little bit different, but it's very camera-related. So... Um, um, not like the, not as practical as the uh, hacking of the camera. I mean, that, that video is not that much about hacking, but about my experience on how to apply the hack. And so, because I, I did not do the hack, I just 
uh, yeah, figured out the best solution, the cheapest camera that I could find during the pandemic to uh, get that image quality for very little money. Yeah. Um, but uh, so next project is definitely camera related. Um, I cannot think of a good way to tease this. Uh, I also have another idea for a Game Boy project, but I intentionally want to do something non-Game Boy first. Uh, because I don't think that uh, I will have that many more Game Boy ideas and I don't want to be stuck in that corner. <laughs> uh, also no, for this, um, maybe that's something I can, can say. This camera project is uh, for, uh, for the wedding of my cousin. Um, and uh, so there's a very different deadline. Uh, he announced a date for his wedding very late. So it should be, the, the project has to be ready in two and a half months. Um, the video can then be done later, of course. So uh, don't expect the video in two and a half months. But uh, so, uh, and I had the idea for this project for quite a while. Uh, it's just that recently he announced it. And so, and <laughs> I was thinking, ah, come on. Yeah. It's, uh, um, I had a plan for so long. But during the pandemic, he uh, yeah postponed it uh, over and over because they didn't want to have the big party there. And uh, oh yeah, the part that I might be able to explain is that um, for my wedding, I did a video booth. So like a photo booth that you have on most weddings where people can take pictures of themselves. I simply set up my camera uh, with a PC and uh, some, some interface I wrote in Python so people can hit a big buzzer and then record like, what was it, five seconds, 10 seconds. So just to goof around and have like, uh, yeah, moving pictures of a photo booth. Um, and since then, everyone in my family uh, wants me to set up a video booth. <laughs> so uh, my other cousin, she had it at her wedding um, and he had asked a while ago. And so then I had the idea to do something more fancy, the little detail that I don't want to spoil at this point. Yeah. Um, and um, so I had it planned in my head for a while and then when he suddenly said oh yeah uh, in april <laughs> um, i would do the wedding then i immediately asked him okay do you still want the video booth um and he wasn't even sure about the location for the party where you would use this because <laughs> for some reason that didn't really work out everything and then um when he finally confirmed yeah okay we have space for video booth uh, i would like the video booth <laughs> Yeah, I immediately had to start on this project now <laughs> because um, otherwise it won't be finished at that time. So, yeah, I hope this gives a vague idea in which direction this goes. But um, no, that's cool. No, that's a that's a fun <laughs> teaser. Um, you know, if you don't mind me asking, where did you learn all of this Python stuff? Did you do this? Do you do this for your day job, and this is just you kind of applied it to your hobby, or are you just completely different for your day job? Um, it's pretty much, I learned everything through the hobby. Um, actually, uh, my day job changed a bit because of that, I would say. Uh, so um, even as a child, I liked programming and um, yeah, uh, learned more and more with every project. Uh, and um, if I just look back at the, at the two Game Boy projects, um, yeah. I would say it's two Game Boy projects, uh, Intercept and the Wi-Fi cartridge. Um, how much I learned from that, uh, just from, from researching pro uh, solutions to some problems, uh, learning assembly uh, for the Game Boy, because before that I had an idea of how assembly worked, but uh, by now I can pretty much read a Game Boy game yeah? and um, not like scrolling through it and I can tell you exactly what it does, but um, I can use the debugger, uh, easily find a point in code and then really read the, the instructions. Yeah, that's something I wasn't able to do before. Uh, I learned so much about electronics. I've um, never uh, designed a PCB before I started that channel. I think the first PCB I ever designed was the, not sure if you've seen this, uh, the um, micro keyboard with the e-ink display. 
uh, on my channel. Um, so that's the first PCB I ever designed. So I learned it for that, and I learned everything uh, from from um, um, uh, yeah from from project like that. Just stuff that interested me and uh, that um, were just a little bit more difficult than what I could comfortably uh, solve. Yeah. Um, and that, my... that keyboard, I think, is uh, another thing that really stood out on your channel, because if I remember the video correctly, it's essentially a keyboard with like eight buttons and you could uh, in an uh, in e-ink display and you could program it to be any key that you want. Right. Yeah. And yeah. So for emulators and arcade machines, you could program that to do a lot of different things. Then you could have the OLED or the OLED, the e-ink screen have what's what commands there are in each. So that might actually be a fun one for gamers to mess around <laughs> with as well for, for people doing custom arcade stuff. I haven't thought about this. I mean, behind this, uh, that's uh, the, the programming of the, of the keys uh, is done by Python script again. <laughs> so Python <laughs> is just the staple of everything. If you just quickly want to write something, um, especially if uh, Windows people should also be able to use it. <laughs> and um, uh, although for those, it's usually more complicated than it has to be. Um, but um, uh, so uh, for this project, uh, so the keystrokes uh, are actually done by um, it, it really registers as a keyboard. So there should not be any delay for the keystroke. So there's just a, ah, it's an older project. I think it's a Pro Micro in there. So pretty much the same microcontroller, or one of the microcontrollers that we also use with the, for a custom mechanical keyboard. Mm-hmm. Um, so once uh, you set which button does, uh, does has which function, then it just is a keystroke and should be not much delay. But uh, the programming of the individual buttons uh, and the setting of the e-ink display is done through the Python script. Uh, and you can script anything. Uh, so... Um, Write any icon to the to the uh, macro keyboard uh, or um, write any um, button to this. Uh, unfortunately, when I designed this, I had no idea about the uh, entire community behind uh, mechanical keyboards. So there are a few things again that I would do different by now, which I then learned from the project. Um, so, for example, there are, is some software that um, is used for many uh, uh, mechanical keyboards, uh, which I probably should have built upon because then I could have used some tools that just would have had to add the uh, e-ink display functionality at least in the way I mean many of these mechanical keyboards have displays but I don't think in the way I use it Um, Mm. and on the other hand um, I placed the so there are actually um, cherry key switches in there um, and I placed them too close to use normal keycaps I just 3D printed my keycaps and I've never thought about uh, what uh, requirements there are for, for regular key, keycaps so yeah as usual it's, I learned a few things from that project um, uh, how did I get there? oh yeah and yeah that was the first PCB um, that uh, I ever designed and ordered so uh, um, yeah then I mean, uh, it doesn't matter what you do. If you design it like that, people ask you, why is it uh, through the whole soldering yeah, <laughs> and uh, not SMD? Um, then when I did my first SMD project, people were asking, hey, why did you move to SMD? Uh, I cannot solder that stuff. <laughs> and um, yeah, I mean, welcome to the internet, right? You can give everybody free food and they're going to say, why, why not free drinks too? Yeah. So it's, you know, yeah, it's whatever. Although, but. Those are the ones that at least I understand. I mean, they usually have good reason why they prefer one or the other. And most of the electronic suggestions are said. And you wake up in the morning, have uh, at the time when the YouTube 
um, um, algorithm picked that up. And then you've got suggestions like, um, why don't you use the, and then there's this cryptic name for something you've never heard of. And then you do your research and uh, check out what he, what he suggested. And then you figure out, okay, maybe that's a good idea. But there's a reason why it probably it's not a good idea, but I don't want to explain <laughs> it right now. But these are still the, these are real productive co pro, uh, co comments. Uh, I would say the annoying comments are, um, especially when, when um, YouTube started pitching uh, the GTA video or the, the news outlets started to show the GTA video to uh, a whole different crowd. That, uh, so the gamer, gamer crowd, which came from the GTA side. Um, and you get just comments like, um, uh, Who would ever want to play a GTA on a Game Boy? And you're thinking, that's not the point. I don't want to play it on a Game Boy. I definitely don't want to. I mean, this thing only has, uh, <laughs> has the D-pad and four buttons. Um, I cannot control everything. I can hardly see the screen. The screen has a terrible resolution. I don't want to play on it. It's not about mobile gaming. I've got a smartphone for this. Yeah. So um, uh, those who don't get at all that making this work is exciting. That's probably the, Those are the comments that... Uh, really annoy me so then um, yeah but um yeah how did you get you. to this topic <laughs> i don't know that's why i like doing podcasts like this you never know where you're going to end up so uh well i mean once again thanks for taking the time to do this i i was really enjoying all of all of the conversations on that i learned so much about it and hopefully if you have time we could follow up after the next couple of projects come out and uh, see what you could come next in the pipeline yeah sure i would like that Awesome. So I will have links to where to find all of you, your YouTube channel, your um, you know, your Twitter and all of that stuff. And, and of course, your Kofi link for anybody that wants to throw you a cup of coffee for the work that you do. And, uh, you know, I'll, I've obviously been subscribed to you for, you know, a year now at least. So I'll, uh, I'll make sure to, to keep up with all of your projects and see where you're going with it. Yeah, great. Thanks. And uh, yeah, thanks for giving me this platform. Um, I really enjoyed this. <laughs> of course. All right. Take care.